2: Welcome back to Not Another Mummy podcast with me, Alison Perry. People place so much focus, understandably, on that first pregnancy and that first baby. But my guest today thinks that it can often be a bigger adjustment than we realise to have a second baby. Sarah Alquell-Smith is a mum of four and she worked as an antenatal teacher and doula before writing no less than 10 books about parenting. Known as an expert in gentle parenting, Sarah's books range from the best-selling Baby Calm to her most recent one, The Second Baby Book. In it, Sarah talks about how different an experience it can be to have your second baby, yet it's a stage that we often do very little to prepare for. Sarah and I chat about how to navigate pregnancy when you already have a child, how to prepare for the birth when you have childcare to consider, and how to juggle the needs of a newborn and an older child, and lots more. Welcome, Sarah hi great to have you great to have you um okay sarah you are i was just saying to you just now before we started you're a bit of a parenting guru yeah i do you know
3: i really hate people calling me that i actually think the worst one is parenting expert if i call myself anything i call myself a parenting author okay because the expert and guru is just all a bit
2: uncomfortable Is that because you don't feel like an expert or a guru? Or do you have a a wider issue with those sort of terms being used? Um, I think both. (laughs) It worries
3: me if people think I know everything for two reasons. One, I don't know everything. And two, I think it's really unaccessible if you have somebody sort of up on a pedestal telling you what to do. I think it's just really unachievable. Um, I don't think... I think there are experts in child care and child psychology, but I think when it comes to parenting, I just don't think there. Are, I think there are people who can kind of guide the way a yeah, little bit, yeah. give, give you signposts, which is very much the route I've come from. But it's really funny when I wrote my first book, Baby Calm, many years ago. My very first opening lines was, "I am not an expert." I'm just, and I said something like, I think of me as a mum who's been there and done it a bit more than you, a little bit more experienced. And when I submitted it, my editor went crazy and said, You can't say that. People won't buy the book. They want to think that they're reading things from an expert. So I've kind of reluctantly
2: assumed it. Yeah. It's interesting, though, isn't it? Because when did that book come out? When was that published? Oh, about eight years ago. So quite a while. Yeah. And I kind of think that in that time, things have shifted a little bit away from everyone looking to experts Mm. and there's you know much more of a trend of looking towards peers and you know other mums and dads who are kind of muddling through and picking up a few tips from that person and a few tips from that person so it almost feels like you were just ahead of the curve yeah I came originally I was an antenatal teacher and a doula
3: so I was I created lots of groups of mums and we'd sit and have chats and I do like postnatal groups and that was very much the the peer support side that I came
2: from yeah no it's brilliant and um so your most recent book is the second baby book isn't it it is um and it feels like that is it's kind of an area that probably why you wrote the book but it kind of feels like a sort of of lesser touched area Mm. that we put so much focus on uh, the first baby and the first pregnancy and that big life shift that happens understandably because it's a huge life shift yeah. um but actually what you talk about in this book is the challenges that that occur when you have that second baby
3: yeah I think when I decided to really everything I write I write for myself which sounds really bizarre but it's kind of like I write all the books now that I wish that I had read 15 years ago that didn't exist And when I was pregnant with my second one, I think there were about two or three books on the market talking about second babies. And I found them all absolutely terrifying. And then none of them really spoke about the emotional side of things for the mum. So I felt like really anxious, but also like a complete lunatic, thinking, does nobody else feel like this? So is there something wrong with me with all of these sort of big feelings I'm having? Because nothing really alluded to it. So it was trying to normalise things but also writing I think there really is a gap for something for second time mums because everybody seems to think that you know what you're doing and you really don't you really don't you know even like with number three or number
2: four it was so I really didn't know what I was doing because I'd never had a third or a fourth baby before yeah. and you had quite um, you talk about this in the book don't you you, have, you had quite short age gaps between all yeah. of your
3: children or the first yeah so my few. my were all four were born within four years of each other wow I mean that in itself was a challenge isn't it Yes and no. So we had far less sibling rivalry because they were too little. Um, For me, I did it all when I was really young and got it all out the way before I was really shattered. Um, (laughs) And you kind of you never get used to sleeping through the night or going out without loads of paraphernalia and nappies. So that was much easier. So you're very much in sort of baby brain and you never get out of it. But in other ways it was really hard so the sort of the military precision to do anything and now they I actually find it tough now they're older so now I've got four teenagers and I have something like seven or eight years of my life where I've either got a child doing GCSEs or A-levels at the same time ah. so when they're all older and they're all going through the same thing. So there's a saying, that um, little kids, little problems, big kids, big problems.
2: Yeah. So I find it much harder now they're older. That's so interesting. Oddly. That hadn't occurred to me, actually. I think we we focus, when we talk about age gaps, we talk we focus so much on those early years, don't we? And, yeah. And, you know, maybe having a toddler and a newborn and what that's like. And it didn't even occur you to me. You don't think about them growing up? No. About <laughs> the challenges that might take place having four teenagers in yeah. close in age. But on the plus side, I do hopefully get rid of them all together as well. <laughs> hopefully fingers crossed um yeah it's it's quite interesting so i've got um an eight year age gap between my eldest and my twins and a two minute age gap between my twins so i've got a really big one and a really small one but i love in the book how you list kind of the pros and cons for big age gaps and small age gaps and i think Mm. that's it's really nice that you're basically talking about how there's no right way to do this Mm. I think lots of
3: people will come up to me and ask me, you know, what's the best age gap? And I don't think there is one. I think whatever there is, you'll end up coping with it because you have no other option. But also for everything, there's a pro and there's a con. So, and even to be honest, when you look at the research in sort of child development psychology, it all contradicts each other. So you'll get one piece of research that says, oh, this is best. And then a year later, something will come out and say, no, this is best. Um, Similarly, medical literature. So there's that's a little bit more clearer with things like you know the effects of the mum with shorter or longer gaps and it's it's generally speaking the, the smaller is not so good for the mum's body in healing yeah. but apart from that it's so contradictory and it is just entirely individual and unique some pe- some families will do really well with little age gaps some will do much better with a big age gap yeah um okay so some what get no option even do that you know a lot of people don't
2: get to choose it's very true happens when it happens very very true um so what are the what are the issues what are the main issues around becoming a mum for the second time so obviously the first thing to think about is when you have another one which is a massive issue
3: for a lot of people when they they get to make the decision um trying to decide when's the right time You've also got fertility issues that sometimes happen. Maybe you didn't have them the first time, but you have secondary infertility. Then when you're pregnant, you have the issue of trying to be pregnant and cope with feeling exhausted and having a child to look after, which you
2: didn't do the first time around. When you just think, oh, why did I find it difficult the first time when yeah. I could sleep when I wanted to? It's funny, isn't it? Yeah. Is that, it's definitely that thing of looking back and thinking, I thought I had it I hard it the, was the first really time.
3: Hard. And then a massive one is um, second births, particularly if there was birth trauma or a difficult experience first time. And you have, I used to work, as I say, as an antenatal teacher and a doula and a lot of my clients were pregnant for the second time and coming to me because they'd had such a difficult experience first mm. time. So, or they wanted a back or something like that. And then you've got the whole, how do you prepare the firstborn, um, practical issues. So things like, you know, if you're breastfeeding, do you give up? Do you carry on in tandem feed? What if the other child is not sleeping through the night? What if you want to start them in daycare or start them at school? When should you make that change? You know, actually, the more you think about it, the more there is to be concerned about them when
2: you're pregnant the first time. Yeah. Um, So clearly a lot of material for a book. (laughs)
3: Yeah, Most of the time when I write, it's about what I don't put in, not what I do put in. Say that again. So it's when I write a book... I start off with like a brainstorming session of things that I want to include yeah. and invariably I end up with fifty percent too much content. Oh. So you have to try and strike it all out. So it's yeah. more rather than trying to find enough to fill it, it's yeah. completely the opposite. It's like yeah. what do I leave out so that
2: it's actually is not a three hundred thousand word book? Yes. Yeah, now I can see that. Um okay, so let's take take those elements um one by one and kind of just uh, briefly explore them for, for the listeners. Um okay, so pregnancy. Yeah. What can uh someone listening who might be pregnant and they've got um, a toddler or an older child or kids actually they, they wouldn't have more than one kid because it would be third time pregnancy fourth time <laughs> pregnancy but it probably still applies um what kind of things can they do to kind of have a smooth pregnancy
3: do you know, I think the answer to everything you're going to ask me is drop your standards and expect <laughs> less. So you you have to realise very early on that you can't be super mum. So if you need a rest, you need a rest. And if that means sticking your toddler in front of CBeebies for the day, that's what you have to do. So I think a lot of it is... Coping rather than thriving, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, but not feeling too guilty about it. You know, your your child is not going to
2: suffer if they have a few months stuck in front of the TV whilst you try and rest. It's funny though, isn't it? Because you sometimes... I was a mum of one for a long time and I used to hear a lot of other mums who had more than one kid say, oh, but, you know, you've only got one child and, yeah. you know, it's so much harder with two. Um, do you think that there's kind of... Do you think that there is a sort of element of having to drop your standards? And if you've got one child, you have that luxury of being able to mm-hmm. have a bit more time. Or- some
3: people can do it, really. And I also am quite aware that when I speak about this, if somebody's listening and they haven't had a second baby or they're pregnant with it, it sounds really terrifying. And they're thinking, but I don't want to drop my standards. I want to, you know, do this really well. So I don't want it to sound too negative, but I do... I think there are people who can do it who are you know naturally very patient and very calm and have quite easy children as well because all kids are different yeah um who will really thrive but i think for most people there has to be that acceptance that probably you're not going to be able to do things the same second time around Which isn't necessarily a bad thing. We also know if you look at research with second born children, they normally are much more relaxed Mm. and far less anxious than first borns. And I think we've just, we put everything on our first born, which sometimes can make them a little bit more highly strong.
2: Do you think that it's very common for the parents to relax a bit, a a little bit too? I mean, kind of, I think the first time round, you do put a lot of pressure on yourself and you want to do everything by the book and, you know, you go to your antenatal classes and you have a real idea of the kind of parent you want to be. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, you, you kind of quite often see on social media people kind of saying, oh, you know, second born, you know, stop in front of the TV, kind of one of my friends, I've just started weaning my twins and one of my friends said, um, well, my eldest had steamed carrots for her first food. <laughs> yeah. My second had Nutella on pancakes. Yeah. And I can't even remember what my third born had for, for his first food and it's that it's that that feeling of just relaxing slightly and being a bit more kind of just going with it And then there's a dichotomy
3: that comes with that on the one hand it it's much more easier it's much more enjoyable because you have relaxed a little bit and on the other hand you do get those pangs of guilt that oh the first born you know i did properly steamed vegetables delivered from the farm shop and number two has too much stuff from jars and packets yeah so it's 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 easier on one hand but difficult on the other and I think maybe that's just sums up being a mum you know it's a a horrible wonderful cross between feeling really happy relaxed and grateful and the other half feeling like you're not
2: doing as well as you should. So how do we balance that off how how do we kind of you know relax into it second time without the feelings of guilt is it possible? I think you just have to
3: normalise it you have to realise that Everybody feels like this. And if you have a friend who hasn't yet, they will do. You know, as I said earlier, maybe they might find it harder when they hit the teenage years. So I think you have to realise that what we see and hear of people's lives is not really what's happening. It's what they carefully create to show people or what they're happy to tell
2: you. Um you don't see or hear what's going on underneath. That's so true. Because even if you've got friends that you meet up with for a coffee and you have an idea of what their life is like based on what they're telling you, it's hmm. only based on what they're telling you. Exactly. you you're not there in their house 24 well, 7. You don't know what they're feeling and you don't see them on their bad days. Yeah, of course. No, I think that's really important to remember.
1: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care.
0: Code buttery exclusions apply. See site for details.
2: Um, so the logistics of birth can be a bit tricky second time round as well because the yeah. first time round, obviously, it's usually just you and your partner, and you can head off to the hospital or have your home birth or however you're having the baby. Mm-hmm. Second time round, it's a little bit trickier. Um, how sh- how can we can kind of navigate that fairly smoothly? With-
3: Planning, planning and more planning. So literally, you know, your, your plan that you want to happen, a backup plan and a backup, backup plan. Right. So, so you, <laughs> if, if you, you know you're going to be hospital, when you organise childcare, don't just organise one childcare option, have a backup option. And I also talk about writing childcare plans. So as well as writing a birth plan, you write a plan for whoever's going to be caring for the child when you're having the new baby. Um, do practice runs, um, I also controversially talk a little bit about don't always rely on the partner or the dad being the birth partner. So I think there's a given that your romantic partner will be with you at the birth. But actually, sometimes it might be better that you have somebody else with you and the child's father or parent is
2: somewhere else looking for them looking yeah. after them that that makes a lot of sense Actually, it really does
3: and once you're doing it the second time you're normally a little bit more comfortable to do it without your partner yeah and have like your mum or your sister
2: or a friend or a doula with you yeah because your needs as as the mum giving birth quite often are you need somebody there to support you and to be a voice for you yeah. and to give you what you need it doesn't have to be your partner does no, it no it
3: really doesn't when i used to do her at birth second time birth. The plan was always, for the the couples booking me, that usually it was at a home birth. They would book me and I would be there as a backup for the child... So I'd be there to support the mum and the dad and then, but if the child needed me, then I'd go off with them. And it never, ever, I knew it would never turn out like that. Yeah. What it always ended up with is the child needed the dad. The dad would go off and take the child somewhere and the mum would decide that she's fine being with the
2: doula instead. Yeah, that's lovely. And it's probably actually quite a nice way of the dad, like an easy way for the dad to have a role. And because I think sometimes a dad yeah. as a birth partner or a partner as a, as a birth partner can It can be quite a tricky role for them to yeah. to perform. Um, so them kind of going off with, with the child and, you know, being a parent and yeah. looking after the child. And of course, you know, some dads
3: really need and want to be there, and they should be. But I think we shouldn't automatically jump to that conclusion. Mm.
2: It's funny, because you, you, you said that, that that's a controversial view, but it actually makes quite a lot of sense to me. It does,
3: but I think... The trouble is, I think we've come down sort of like father's rights and dad's being allowed to be present. And I think some people think it's a little bit like taking that away and saying, oh, are you just saying it should be a woman's space? Yeah. It isn't. It's about everybody being there happy with the role and where they are.
2: It is. Yeah, you're right. But there there is part of me that kind of feels like the person in that room giving birth is probably the most important person in that room yeah. and that, the
3: other thing moment. is it's really hard to relax and be in labour and for labour to go well if you're worried about your firstborn yeah you know just if you know the sort of the physiology of labour it does not progress if you're anxious right. so if the mum knows that the child is well cared for
2: actually her labour's likely to be easier yeah, so basically, what you're saying is, mum guilt starts even while you're giving birth. <laughs> I
3: think mum guilt mind. even starts before you do a pregnancy test. To be uh, honest, because you start thinking about having another one, and then you start thinking, Oh my goodness, am I thinking? You know, this one isn't enough, and what about global warming? And should I really be bringing another child into the and world? and Can I ever love a child yeah.
2: as much as I love my current child? And it, I don't think it ever goes; it just changes. Yeah, and, and I think you learn, you, you learn to, to adapt. Yeah, and you learn to kind of listen to mum guilt when it matters and kind of brush it away when it doesn't I think you learn to kind of identify when it's something that should be listened to or not don't you it's an interesting one it's a whole it's whole their podcast mum guilt tell you (laughs) um okay so what are the things that we can do if our first birth didn't go as planned um what are the things that we can do to um, ensure that we're not absolutely terrified about a second time round. I think you have to understand what, what happened first time. So you have to go and talk
3: through with a professional. So something like a birth, afterthoughts, midwife, counsellor, doula, somebody who can read notes and understand them and kind of pick apart what happened. A lot of the time, there can be a quite clear process that was happening that you aren't aware of. So for instance, first time around, I was diagnosed with failure to progress, which... And now realise was just the result of midwife changes and being with somebody who made me feel really uncomfortable. Right. Um, but for a long time afterwards, I thought, you know this is going to go really badly second time around because it was really bad and I couldn't cope with the pain and I had to have the um, drip to speed things up. Was there something wrong with my body? So it's really important you understand why things happened and understand if you want to have a natural birth. And I don't mean natural like sort of hippie and calling a caesarean and unnatural, I'm just using the medical terminology. But yeah. if you want to have a, a vaginal birth, I guess I probably should say, to understand what happened and what you can do differently and understand your options and loads and loads of planning. And similarly, you know, I, I'm not just saying that you have to have a vaginal birth next time. But having a repeat cesarean can be a really positive experience. But I think also you need to understand what happened and you need to put a lot of thought into planning and controlling that. Because yeah. if you look at the, the research on birth... It's not necessarily how or where the baby was born that impacts us the most. It's how much in control we feel of the process.
2: That's interesting. So
3: isn't it? you can have a really unhappy, traumatic home birth with your second, or you can have a really, really positive, enjoyable, lovely, wonderful um, repeat C section.
2: Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, uh, what is interesting for me is that um, I had not a great birth the first time around. That was a vaginal birth. Mm. Vaginal? Vaginal? Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> You you hear yourself saying a word. You're One's like, did I say that right? <laughs> <laughs> Which is the American way? Vaginal. Vaginal. Sorry, <laughs> vaginal. Um, yeah, I had a vaginal birth first time round, and it wasn't a great experience. Yeah. Um, and second time round, when I had twins, I was told at my 12 week scan that I would probably not have to have a C-section because they would never say to me, you have to have one. Yeah. Um, but it was advised and I felt a real sense of relief not because I was desperate to have a c-section but because I knew it would be a different experience mm. and I think I needed it just to be different yeah. Um and for those feelings not to kind of re-emerge and come back and that kind of helped me relax during mm. my, my twin pregnancy um, The lovely knowing... thing with
3: a repeat section is that you know it's happening and you can plan for it that takes away a lot of the
2: unknown Yeah, definitely and that, and that really ties into what you were saying about how just having having a, a bit of a plan and knowing what, yeah. what's going to happen can just make, make a real difference. Absolutely. And a backup plan and a flexible plan if you're talking about birth. Yes. Because plans, the thing about plans is they quite often don't go to plan. Yeah, well, my
3: second was meant to be a home birth after the first home birth didn't work out, but then I ended up hospitalised for preeclampsia, oh.
2: which I was very unprepared for. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Our bodies don't always do what we expect them to, no. is, is, is the main thing there. Um, so postnatal recovery, um, lots of us aim to rest a lot. Mm. And, you know, we talk a lot about the fourth trimester. Um, when we have another child to care for, that quite often isn't realistic. Yeah. So what kind of things can we do to try and have that recovery time?
3: I think you really need help for a week or two. So whoever that comes from... Um, I think if you know when your baby's going to be born, you're having a C-section, that's easier, isn't it? But perhaps a bit harder to recover from, but you have to have somebody there, whoever that is. If you have a partner, if you have friends, you have family, if not, then um, if you have the finances to pay for somebody or you something like do the UK's access fund, if you don't have some, you know, you don't always have to pay to access these services. Um, I think you have to be really led by your body, which is hard. Again, you have to get over the guilt of maybe you can't play with the firstborn like you would want to. Also, I don't think you should enforce, there's this whole 40 night recovery period, isn't there? For me, I would have gone absolutely mental if I'd been doing that. You know, actually, it really helped me to get up, have a shower, put on makeup and go out somewhere but for others they're better at home i think the key is that you do what you feel better with not yeah. what people think you should be doing just listen to your gut i instincts. think we're really intolerant of mums getting up and about after the birth and getting back to normal if their normal is putting on makeup and doing their hair we seem to think you know why are you all dressed up this classic thing wasn't there with megan and harry introducing their baby yes. with a I would saying you know i bet she feels awful
2: having to get up but actually maybe she might feel better Doing yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I think it is, I think, isn't it? Listen to your gut instinct, not feeling that you have to do anything hmm. one way or the other, um, and making sure that people around you are aware of what you want to do and the fact that actually getting up and yeah. washing my hair and going for a walk around the block is making me feel better. But normality for the firstborn as well is quite important. So a lot of people would keep
3: off their firstborn, say from school or preschool or nursery, but actually I think it tends to work better if their routine can be as normal as possible. So don't feel guilty for sending your firstborn off to nursery the day
2: after a new baby arrives. Yes, absolutely. My uh, my twins arrived during half term for my eldest, which was a little bit frustrating because it just meant that we had, you know, I an extra child to look after but what i did was i basically booked in a bunch of my school mum friends Mm. to take my eldest off for play dates for the for the whole day and they were really happy to help and actually it was probably doing them a bit of a favor anyway because they were it was creating a bit of you know activity for their children um but that was a really nice way of of making of of getting help and, and you know making sure that we had time to devote to the twins rather than doing that juggle yeah
3: all of mine went off to school or preschool the day after I had a baby and we never really kept them off
2: because
3: mm. it helped them more just to have that predictability that routine I think is really yeah.
2: important isn't it definitely um and then how do you balance things like the older sibling feeling a bit left out or oh it's all about the baby it obviously depends on the age you know younger Mm -hmm. children as you would have experienced may well have been too young to almost have that thought process but older children might feel a little bit like oh you know mum and dad don't play with me anymore they're Mm -hmm. always busy with the baby i think however old the firstborn is you have to make one-to-one time
3: with them and when i say one-to-one time i do mean one-to-one as in without the baby your baby is in your case in the room um a lot of people think, oh, i just put the baby in the sling and that will be okay. But that's not one-to-one, that's like two-to-one. Mm-hmm. And this is where more guilt comes in because you realise that you, with your, your second born that you want to... Be as baby led and responsive to them as you were to the first which means they don't go over to dad or granny to cry for a little bit while are with your firstborn but I think it's really important that you get time away from the babies even if it's you know people when I say time away I think people mean that like I'm saying go out for the whole day but even like I think the most important thing to do is the bedtime for the firstborn so if you have another adult that you can leave the baby with And you just go for half an hour and just do your firstborn's bedtime routine, read to them, just you and them. That goes such a long way. Even if that's all you can do, it makes a dramatic difference. And then as the babies get a little bit older so that you can leave them for a little bit longer, doing things like popping out to the park with the first one without the baby. Mm. And then when they're even older and perhaps you could leave them for most of the day, then having a whole day out without the babies. Yeah. And even now, you know, when mine are much older, I still try and get that one-to-one time. So I will still do as like a special event with one child. Like we'll go to the cinema or theatre or something. And I'll still now, if I pop to the shops and always say he wants to come with me. Yeah. So it might you know, minor teenagers now, but it's like who's gonna to come to Tesco's with me, who's gonna to come to Aldi with me and that time is just time that we can sit and have a chat. Yeah. With him. As I say, you know, I've bought my oldest who's sitting outside in the green room now, because he's off on um A level study leave, but it's a day that we can have a
2: chat on the train on the way up here and we'll go out for lunch together that we wouldn't normally have otherwise. I think it's really important not to underestimate that, that almost like travel time. If you were just... Mm. A, like I quite often, every week I take my eldest to her swimming lesson and actually my favourite part of doing that is the 15-minute drive yeah, to so the swimming much. pool. And we just chat about her day and about random things and we listen to the radio yeah. and sing and it's very nothingy but it's also everything it's not it's a time when your firstborn
3: has got your full attention Mm. which they just can't have if you've got the baby around even if the baby's in a sling they kind of they know they're present yeah but yeah it doesn't have to be massive specially planned days out or mornings out it can be just going to the supermarket yeah or just sitting and doing a puzzle
2: together or...
3: or when the babies are asleep when the the last thing you
2: feel like doing is playing getting down on the floor with your firstborn and saying what should we do yeah yeah, that, you know what? You're so right. It's that time when you're exhausted and you've got, <laughs> just want you've to got, sleep. You've got a house to clear up. But you just, yeah, yeah. it's just it's spending 10, 15 minutes with, yeah. with your eldest, definitely. Sarah, it has been lovely to chat to you today. Thank you, and Angie. I think that, you know, the book is so useful and i think that everyone who is uh planning a second or pregnant with their second should rush out and buy it because it will just be, not be too scared about everything i've said yeah i think that's the key isn't it is it's that sometimes... reassuring once your seconds here but quite scary before they arrive yeah and i think that do you say that actually that there are certain chapters that actually might be worth yeah not reading whilst you're pregnant and i always do but people read them anyway and then they leave me a negative review and i'm like but i did say don't read it <laughs> <laughs> so yeah read read the parts that are relevant and then save the other parts for later but thank you Sarah it's been great thank you thank you Sarah says that she's not an expert but wasn't she wise thank you to her for coming on and thanks to you for listening as always please rate and review and subscribe to the podcast and I'll catch up with you next time
0: The